What's up, y'all? It's your boy Joe. We back at it with the podcast again. My my guest today is the very funny, the very enticing Rachel McMillan. Hey, <laughs> what's up? What's up? It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah, man. How you been? I've been good. Been good. So you are a stand-up comedian, correct? Mm-hmm. And you also run your own shows. Mm-hmm. What got you into comedy? I um. So, I mean, it, it dates back to, I remember about a couple of years into my recovery, I said to my therapist, she was like, bucket list, what would you want to do? And I said, I, I looked at my partner at the time and I, and I said, I want to do stand up comedy. And, um, you know, I was most humorous of my class in high school and I was always the kind of weird kid that knew how to make people laugh without trying to make people laugh. Um, and um, I just have like a, a weird ass brain, <laughs> like one of those like, let's try to use this. So um, I had I got enough time sober where I thought, OK, I could probably get into the industry. My friend said, get on stage. And we went one night and I did it. And I liked the high more than I like heroin. That <laughs> uh, was a new addiction. It was a, Well, something like that. At least I can find a balance, I think, because heroin. So, you know, um, Deadly. (laughs) (laughs) So you used to do heroin? Yeah. A lot of it. Copious amounts. Um, So I've never done it, but I've seen a lot of it on TV and stuff like that. mm -hmm. Can you explain the feeling of like getting high? I can explain the first feel, the first time. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I've never intravenously used heroin because I was afraid that had I gone down that road, then I would definitely be, you know, six feet underground right now. Um, but I, I was addicted to, uh, pain pills for a very long time. Um, after I had a C-section, a cesarean with my son and, um, I liked drugs before then, but I became more addicted as, um, so you were, you were pregnant and you were still using drugs? Um, after Christian, I started using whatever I could get my hands on. And then with Thomas, yeah, I was using pain medication. Yeah. Your he, second child? Mm-hmm. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Not alcohol, though, because alcohol is is bad for the baby. But pain, kills, pain pills excuse me, are um, actually, uh, I mean, regimented, but are not as bad. <laughs> My cousin uh, is was at the time a <clears throat> a, a doing his uh inter or his uh his first year at NYU medical school uh for to become an anesthesiologist and I took him aside and said, "Look man, I've been taking a lot of pain pills." And, I was actually giving them to him and my brother at the time too. Sorry, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, bro. <laughs> whatever. They weren't abusing it. I was. They just wanted to have fun. Um, but I said, "I'm doing." He's like, "As long as you don't drink, then you know, you should be okay." And I was like, "Fucking anesthesiologist says it." So one day I didn't have pain medication because I was, you know, a bro- broke single mom and. Um, I remember the pizza guy, uh, came over, friend of mine, friend of a friend's, he was bringing me free pizza cause I was a broke single mom. And, um, 
I told him, I said, look, I've been taking Loracet's about 10 or 15 a day and I run, I've run out. And he said, I've got a place. So we went and scored for him. When he came back, put this in the Visine bottle and just snort it and I'll get you through until tomorrow. Well, what is it? Well, it's black tar. And I said, all right. Oh, shit. Yeah. So in the, I remember standing in front of the faucet in my kitchen in my house and shook it up. And I remember taking the first snort and just being like, oh, it burns. And then I just remember... Head going back and then head going forward and being like, this is it. <sighs> the biggest sigh. <laughs> you know, just. Oh, my God. Two people talk about, I have arrived and I'm like, oh. You felt that euphoria. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And comedy's cooler than that to me. Like, I get a euphoria kind of like that, but it's a stimulant with it, too. Well, you snorted it. I heard that the way heroin gets you is when you inject it. That's when you get hooked yeah so you never injected it. i never injected it because i kind okay. of knew or had this awareness that one i have really pretty skin <laughs> <laughs> okay okay right like well that's good awareness i think cause vanity you, helped vanity helped because <laughs> who would want to you know but and I'll, i saw the pin cushion effect that it had on people like it you know like you see people who are heroin addicts and they really have like uh you know the boils and the and i heard just bad things about that so rather snort it you know mm-hmm. yeah and then i started burglarizing homes for it and stuff okay is it is this will be like we shouldn't no, talk hey, about? I'm all about it is it, is it past the uh the, the, the statues or oh whatever? yeah, yeah. <laughs> 10 years i haven't done that since <laughs> yesterday at three o'clock <laughs> but that was for funsies okay just to get that high not for drugs it's <laughs> silly <laughs> So, like, comedy gives you a better high than when you had when you snorted heroin. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? That is crazy. Because, like, I I mean, I've done drugs here and there, but I've never done... The hardest drug that I've done is coke. Mm-hmm. Cocaine. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just like a 15-minute rush, and then you need another bump and another bump. But I've never had that <laughs> euphoria where it just hits you, and you're just like, this is it. Yeah. And it scares me, too, because there's addiction in my family. Like, mm-hmm. my mom, uh, when I was younger, she was a drug addict. Mm. She's doing uh, crystal meth. Uh, mm. She was doing cocaine. She was on a lot of pills mm. and a lot of stuff like that. And I saw firsthand what addiction does to a person and how it ruins their life. Mm-hmm. And then same thing with my dad. My dad wasn't that bad. He used to drink and smoke weed. Mm-hmm. He was like a high-functioning fun- alcoholic. But then... Whenever he was sober, that's he was a different person. Right. And I could see that, too, that other side of addiction where it changes you. Yeah. I mean, but it's tough because like, I, I see it in myself and I'm like, I, I don't know if, if I see the effect that it has on your body, like alcohol. I see the effect that it has on your body. I also know why people use it mm-hmm. because it's legal. Mm-hmm. It's it helps you have fun, get out mm-hmm. of your comfort zone. Like when I used to do stand up uh, when I first started, for the first two years almost, I would go up on stage with a drink, right, or maybe two, just to feel like loose. comfortable and just loose and stuff like that. Then after that, uh, I went on stage one time without it, just to see, because like I had really bad stage fright, mm-hmm. and I had I have so much anxiety in my everyday life. That it really affects me sometimes. So I went on stage. I did well. And then in my mind, I was like, okay, I guess I don't need to drink anymore to do this. Yeah. And that was that was a high for me. That was like an epiphany. Right. But that's also because like I the experience of going on stage so much and just doing it over and over again 
kind of just was in my brain going like, oh, you know how to do this. Yeah. You, you don't need, you know, weed or alcohol anymore. Yeah. It, it's a crazy feeling. I mean, but like, how long have you been doing comedy now? Um, I see. Yeah, so I started around my fifth year sobriety date, which was January uh, 21st. Of last year? Of this year. This year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. January. So, so right now we're in January. We're in October right now. Mm-hmm. It's about 10 months. It's about 10 months. Yeah. That's, have you already done so much in that time? Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy because like you just start and you hit the ground running. Yeah. Just immediately. What, what made you, what, what, what was motivating you to do all that? Um, <clears throat> I, I guess was inspired by how, um, my connection to people and my connection to, you know, something greater than myself that I like learned about or fell in love with in recovery was, um, on stage and, and giving out to people and giving them a message of like, yeah, the shit can get crazy, but there's hope. Um, so there's this step in recovery. It's the 12th step. There's one through 12, 12 being the last it's called, um, um, we carry the message to alcoholics still suffering. So we carry the message to help people all around our daily lives, you know? Um, and that's my, that's my motivation behind life period. Even before my kids is in recovery, who can I extend the hand of loving kindness to? And, uh, so I, you know, I have to just say that like, uh, I, I kept asking questions to people at open mics and I was like, I don't don't even know how I got, I got, I was at Christian's tailgate. I did my first open mic and I remember Mikey Biggs was there. And I remember after I, I, uh, I did it, he even looked up and he kind of was like, good job. You know, I was like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And the second time I did it, I didn't say anything on stage. So I felt like maybe I should kill myself, but then I continued to do it. Um, and I continued to ask questions and I continued to observe and I continued to talk to people that I knew who had, uh, like I talked to Brian Ginger and, hey, man, I see you produce shows. How, how do you do it? You know, or I just watched and then I observed and I learned also who to hang out with and who maybe to keep a distance from, you know, or how to love people from a distance. And um, that's a tough thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it took me a minute to realize that specific, like who to, who to hang out with and then who who just like are the people you just talk to and are cool with but right. not really go too into it with them yeah when you're you're kind of the 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 newcomer so to speak in a community you either you know you're kind of the weak <laughs> or uh, most vulnerable um but as what, you, in what terms most vulnerable like um well like let's say as a newcomer in recovery right like i i i only have 30 days sober let's say then i'm not going to know how to st- you know, I'm not going to have built, um, a community of people or have friends or have, you know, my herd, so to speak. Um, or I'm not going to have the tools that people with long-term sobriety have. So I can't walk into a recovery room and be like, Oh, I got my two month chip and now I fucking know shit, you know, cause people with more time are going to be like, sit down. <laughs> okay. So you're not delusional. <laughs> so I'm not delusional. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have a firm grasp of reality. Um, I like sometimes going into fantasy, but that's a different story. No, I'm just kidding. I like going and into... don't f- we all, girl. <laughs> um, so what I did, so like I, I honestly, whenever I was a kid, right, I started playing soccer when I was like seven. And I remember being put in the in the goal as a goalkeeper, which I 
didn't quite understand, but my best friend was one. So I was like, I'll do it. And then I remember one day watching the kids like score a goal and being like, so I put the ball on the ground and the objective is to get it into the back of the net. So I did that as a goalkeeper one time. I caught the ball when someone tried to put it in the net and put it on the ground and ran really fast. And they're like, okay. After scoring the goal, the coach is like, maybe put her on the field. So they did, right? Uh-huh. And I wasn't very good for a very long time. So then one time in high school, I was like, okay, maybe if I'm the first one on the field, I'm the last person to leave, I'll get better. Okay. And then I started learning after they put me on varsity and they're like, you got better because they scored a hat trick. Maybe um, after I got a full ride to play in college, maybe if I like... Um, you know, play with guys and I play on three teams or as opposed to just two teams because I had like a club team and a high school team and then I had the college team. So in college, I did that. I started playing with dudes. I was like, I can get better if I play with dudes. Uh-huh. And then one day I got scouted by a professional co- or semi-professional team here in Houston called the Houston Tornadoes. And they said, you come play for us. We're going to make a Texas team and then you'll be on the WSA. But I started off as a soccer player, not very good. I mean, literally as a goalkeeper going, I don't know what the objective of the game was until I figured out it's to score a goal. And then I realized teamwork and I realized how to become a captain, but I put in extra work. And my main number one thing was be the first person on the field and be the last person to leave. So I told this story, I think to double A one time and I was like, so I'm trying to apply that to comedy too, or I apply that, you know, to a lot of anything that I really want to do. The work ethic. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so I use that mentality when I got into, into comedy, didn't act like the best one on the, you know, like I knew what I was, whatever. I just went with what I had, the skills that I had, and, and then I continued to build on the skills and develop them. And that's what I'm doing in comedy. I think, you know, not to become whatever, whatever, but to see where I can take my own skill level, you know, and how it transpires. And maybe if I become whatever, what, like, I didn't think I would produce a really great, you know, a comedy show in, in Houston, but I just kept putting, like I put in, I've sunk cost loss money p- putting into the production and I've also made some money back, but then it goes as a turnaround to, okay, if I can build on it more, uh-huh. bring in Austin comics, do you know, try to, and the networking and all, it takes, a, it's a lot next to a full-time job. Oh, trust me, I know. And to, to maintain the smile and the wave, you know. Oh, my God. And to go, no, you're not welcome. Sorry. <laughs> no. Has there been anybody where you had to tell that to? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so what? But I, I, they I'm weren't also funny. Softy. They weren't funny. They were just weird. Well, or no, what, if someone is it? disrespectful or there's something that they've aired to me or showed to me that proves disrespect to me or the production, right? Or me as a comedian or me as a person or, you know, even, um, you know, it could be, I'm, I'm very, I'm very skeptical about like, oh, you did this to my friend. So blah, blah, blah. And that, that, that hearsay is not like good enough for me there has to be grounds proof. i think i think that's bullshit does that make sense like there has to be well that that whole idea of like oh you you're disrespectful i don't like you because my friend doesn't like you're a jerk to my friends right now i hate you it's like okay this is between me and that other person not between me and also joe you take drugs and alcohol out of anything who with already a very high uh saturated highly saturated like that's the main well, that's the big point right there because we do shows at bars all the time. There's always alcohol and right. drugs in the mix. So it was easier for me again to, I made sense at least at five years sober to go, okay, I feel like my I'm my brain is not is, is recovered enough to now understand that it's okay to be around drugs and alcohol and, and, and I know when to leave too, you know? Hey, that's a tough thing. Like, Do you 
Do you get urges sometimes never. when you're at clubs at bars? Not even once. No. Not even once. There's never... Uh, I know um, we have a mutual friend, but he had said to me even last night, don't joke about it. Don't joke about it. And I was like, oh, but I can joke about it because it doesn't bother me anymore. If it starts to bother me, then I have this whole other community of people, as you can see, like I'm on social media, like very active and um, in recovery, very active, which people in, in the you know, in the community of comedy don't really have an awareness of because they don't know. But I know a lot of people in recovery and I sponsor a lot of women. And uh, my reputation is ha- like very, I have a very good reputation. Uh-huh. So, um, so for me to be able to joke about like I put on mental awareness health day or something the other day, mm-hmm. like I put a post and it was just make sure to drop acid in my coffee, you know, just kidding. But like I, I can joke about it because that isn't, I, it's not a, it's like saying as to a vegan, does not eating meat really bother you? You know, and you're like, I'm a vegan. I don't do it. I, it you know, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, but I'm not saying that has the same, um, that alcoholism is the same because it's a disease. Um, but it, it's a similar thinking. Like, I don't think about it. They don't think about when people it. are drinking and doing blow or whatever it is that they're doing. I don't think, wow, I can't believe that that's happening. Like, do you I just, just like go to the other room or just get out of there? Well, I mean, if there's like an illegal situation, I'll leave the room, you know. But oh, if, so if somebody's just like smoking in front of you, you're like not I'm at fine. all, you know. Okay, that's mature. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. Nor do I have a oh my gosh, this is, yeah. And I've had some with the kids in the green room when I'm hosting. Uh, the kids. I, won't, I won't say I won't say what green room, but the green room. Um, I've can I, Miss Rachel, can I you know spark up this joint? And I'm like, I don't care. What? <laughs> like, hey, whoa, whoa, hey, there's no more smoking in the green room. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, is, it is crazy. Like uh, when I first started working at a comedy club, that was the big thing: smoking in the green room. Mm-hmm. People used to smoke all the time. I used to smoke. Drinking all the time and stuff like that. I've seen some like very crazy things going on at, at a, a specific club, and I used to work there too. And I used to see it all the time. And it's just, it's everywhere. It's yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah. And you don't really expect it sometimes. Like when I first started doing stand up, I thought oh, I'm just gonna go on stage and tell jokes, and eventually something will happen. I was totally wrong. Yeah, it just tripped me the hell out. I was like, "Damn, everybody's smoking, everybody's drinking, everybody's having sex. What is this?" Like, yeah, it was because because I came from like I was a very like uh, I wasn't the type to go out and hang out. I I hung out with friends and stuff like that, but I didn't usually go out and stuff. The first time I got offered coke was like at twenty four. Whoa, yeah, and the first time I did coke was twenty five. So. Right. <laughs> So it was weird. It was a weird transition. And like, I never, when I was a kid and I saw what my mom was going through, I was like, I don't want to be like that. Right. But then I started like drinking and then having fun and just being out with friends. And then peer pressure gets to you sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like, it's one of those things like, well, I don't want, I don't want to feel like I can't fit in. So you do it. Right. And then you get stuck doing (laughs) it. And you're like, well, what did I just start? Okay. Now I got got like five addictions and comedy so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and it's funny it's a hard thing to deal with like i i've been trying to cut down on drinking right now all i do is smoke weed i don't do any other drugs anymore because mm-hmm. like i'm 29 mm-hmm. and I've, I've kind of feel like i've outgrown most of these things yeah like if i smoke i'm fine with that drinking every once in a while now because like i know how i can get like i 
I even crashed my car while I was drunk. Right. And like I saw that and I was like, it took me a minute to for the initial reaction to hit me because after the the shock sure i kept drinking after that sure and then things started getting worse and worse and worse and i put two and two together i was like oh it's the drinking that's the problem yeah but it 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 took so much and so many things had to happen just for me to realize yeah that yeah you know yeah what how did how did you get into recovery what what was the thing that made you want to be like okay Uh, i'm done Let's see. Um, I guess my my first initial story would be um, uh, my dad, my mom, and I. I was I was adopted, so already had a predisposition. My parents are white and conservative and Republican. I'm Mexican, <laughs> so I have a white mom and a, and a Hispanic dad. I found out last year, but um, well, you just found out you're Mexican. Yeah, last year. <laughs> Makes sense, right? I fucking love it. You okay? So with this, with your skin tone, I yeah. can kind of because my mom has the same. Oh, skin I go outside, tone. Joe, for it's in the summertime. I go to Galveston, say for a day with the you kids. You dark enough? I'm done. Yeah. People are like, "How? What do you? You know?" When I was a kid, I was trying to wipe it off, right? Because it was like I didn't fit in. Now I'm like, oh, and girls uh, are buying it. If <laughs> you we know? Talk, if we talk about wiping it off, so uh, yeah, I, I'm brown, obviously, yeah. but yeah. I'm not like super brown. But my brother has the same skin tone as my mom. They both look white. Yeah. And when I was a kid, my mom told me this. So she said, I was so jealous that I grabbed a bag of flour and I just put it over me. Sure. All over. And I was like, look, mom, now you love me too. Right. <laughs> Cause I was so smart as a kid. I-, I could see like the way people get treated because of their skin, because oh, yeah. of the way they look. So I was like, I was like, Oh, if I'm white, I'm just like you guys. I'll yeah. get treated better. It yeah. Was, it was a weird thing. Yeah. I, I tried to wipe it off of my body when I was in preschool in the bathroom and the and the teacher walked in and she goes, what are you doing? And I was crying and I said, I just wanted to come off. <laughs> and she told Aww. my parents about it. Yeah. And I mean, my parents, you know, like, uh, they, I mean, they, they're, you're probably Hispanic, Hispanic. Because I kind of knew that that was probably the primary that I was, yeah. So how, how did you find out? Like through an agency, I was adopted through an agency. Um, oh, you were adopted. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, that must be tough. Not at, oh no, it's it's great to have the awareness now and be an adult and be an adult about how you know uh, that works. Really, I mean, I for so long thought that my mom, my biological, my birth mom, didn't want me, and I just realized last year that she had to give me up, and she did want me. She mm-hmm. sent me a letter. Or sent the agency a letter and said when she turns 18, she can look for me. And then it, the letter had said, I want you to know I wanted you. But her mom made her give me up for it off. She was 17. And then she had another baby when she turned 18 with the same, my my dad, who's six foot tall, handsome Mexican. who's <laughs> very handsome. Um, and uh, so I have a full-blooded sister, too. And, and, you know. Damn, man, you have a sister. Mm-hmm, who looks like me. And it's five seven and 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 acts like me, but maybe without recovery. She's recovered through like the the Bible principle, which for me doesn't work. AA works for me, but um. So my mom growing up it was kind of like you're the she's was verbally abusive. She's got I think borderline. Sorry, mom, but I love her to death now. She um. She's got some type of mental. She's issue. She, she's yeah. She you know yeah. grew up one of twelve, and her dad died when she was nine, and all the things, but. Happened after that, being raised by a single mom with 12 kids. Um, 
so she was verbally abusive and and it was hard for her emotionally just kind of up and down waves of like uh, are we having a good or bad day? You never know. So, so just, she was going from like manic to depressive sometimes. She would just go from like like I remember one day, <clears throat> I uh, when I turned sixteen, she made this big sign on our the back of our fence. We live in a corner, uh, you know, like between Kingwood and Woodland Hills Drive. This big uh, acre backyard. So this long happy sixteenth birthday mural on the on our fence and. Um, so off to school, I get this call. <clears throat> you left your lunch. Your mom called, and I got home, and she said, did you get the call? Oh, I got the call. Oh, crud, I forgot the lunch. She was so angry about it. She went into the refrigerator and pulled out the cake and just slammed it on the floor, and I'm like, for forgetting a lunch? But your card was in it, and there's $20. And I was like, yeah, but. She so wasn't just, thinking she's clearly. Just, things like that. My like, mom used to do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom, yeah. It's so like a dry drunk or something. I don't know. I, I, well, see, my uh, apparently there's like mental illness in my family, and I didn't know this. Like, yeah. Uh, so my the, the story is that my grandpa was in the army, in the Mexican army. Yeah. And then he something happened. He started getting PTSD. He went to the mental hospital and stuff like that. And apparently he had he just stayed with that. So. My mom found out that we have mental illness in our family and then something happened to her. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is true, but my theory is because of all the drugs that she was doing mm-hmm. and everything that was going on, her brain chemistry kind of like changed and it just triggered something. Mm-hmm. And like she's bipolar schizophrenic. Mm. So and also I had to live through that most of my life, which I, I could see the signs now mm-hmm. going back and thinking about yeah. it. But when you're a kid and you're looking at the adult, you're like, oh, this is an adult. They're supposed to know what they're doing. Yeah. And you, it's your parents. You copy their their yeah. habits. Yeah. So I, I kind of have the habits of like a bipolar person sometimes, I think, <laughs> yeah. because of my mom. Yeah. And like it makes it, it kind of got me thinking. I was like, sometimes it's like, am I crazy? And then yeah. I, I looked online. It's like, oh, no, the the mother. The symptoms of. The, yeah. The mother yeah. has the symptoms and they pass it on and stuff like that. But it's usually like skips a generation. Yeah. Oh. So right. now I'm scared Praise for my <laughs> yeah I'm scared for my kids because I'm like oh one of them might be crazy yeah yeah and it's a scary thing yeah it know. is a scary thing um, well um, so my my dad had suggested to me uh, at the age of seventeen he said why don't you come with me to the church and we'll go to this meeting where you're gonna get along with your mom afterward after the meeting they're gonna teach you you know in the meeting how to get along with your mom and I was like sounds great. So I go sit down in a room and he goes to another room and it's like a men's room and a, and a women full, women full of room and, I, and they start talking and some of them are crying, some of them are laughing when they're sharing and then I caught on because one lady said I have an addiction to Xanax and I go, this motherfucker put me in an AA meeting. So I was immediately resentful and went outside, went downstairs and I called my drug dealer and then fast forward to... So what was your initial reaction? Was like, this, this asshole, what the hell is he doing? I don't have a problem. What the, uh, were you thinking that or what, what, was, what was going through your mind? Um, I think that I was thinking that drugs or and alcohol were not an option for me to stop. Like it wouldn't, it didn't, it never became a real issue until I went to the penitentiary. Oh, damn. Yeah. Like it was never like a, like I remember when I was dating, I, you know, fast forward, but after kids and stuff which I was aware of. It's just a joke when I say the weirdest thing about getting sober is finding out you have kids. I mean, there's an awareness to it when you're like, oh shit, I have to like do things with these things. Um, But I, you know, after kids and after the 
you know, kind of heroin and bolt and the burglaries. Um, I started seeing a really nice guy after my, my husband and I separated who was, he was a violent offender. Um, I started dating a prosecutor in Harris County, a DA, an assistant DA. And, um, after I committed a second burglary while I was dating him and I was already on probation, he brought it to the judge's attention. This woman is probably not a criminal, although it may seem that way. She's definitely an alcoholic or has a drug addiction. So I was put into rehab and, um, I relapsed immediately when I got out, but at least in 2008, I had awareness enough to know to stop drinking, but I relapsed on heroin and meth and pills again and he stuck by me and um this last time <clears throat> I was house sitting for my Al-Anon sponsor and there she was definitely pretty recovered so um when I stole her jewelry <laughs> and <pawned> it, <laughs> she uh she was like no no you know one strike you're out and I want yep. you to make it she's like you're really intelligent but man you you need help and you have kids so oh, um I made an amends to her. I was on the run and um, I, I turned myself in and uh, my parents again, hey, we'll get you a lawyer. We'll try to get help. Don't sign anything. And I said, I think I'm going to go ahead and sign and take take the consequence this time because there were always there was always someone trying to save me. And I finally realized I think I need to do this for myself. So I went to the state penitentiary for 13 months. And uh, when I was released, it just changed. And I've stayed sober since. How was that experience? You know how people, have you ever seen these little vatos or these little girls or these uh, people getting fights at comedy clubs or people getting fights on the streets and you're like, that's cute. Now, before I went to the penitentiary, I was like, man, I hope I never run into that. This little white girl growing up in Kingwood, right? Uh Privileged and entitled. When you go to the penitentiary, um, they're, they're fighting to kill. They're not fighting to have a little street fight and pull some hair. They're fighting to take your teeth out and make sure you break a bone or you die. Damn. Yeah. So every day it was very scary. It was really scary. It was terrifying. So I just stayed on my bunk, put my head down, prayed, meditated, did my job, you know, because I didn't want to be put in segregation. If you don't show up to work, then they'll put you in segregation. What's segregation? That's where you... um. You're put in like the hole. It's called the hole. Yeah. So you literally pee in, all, in, in the hole in the ground. And it's um, uh, all privileges taken away. Yeah, that's crazy because I have a brother. Yeah. I, my brother, he went to, to prison. And like it, it wasn't like, like you. He was in a gang. And he used to just fight all the time and get in trouble on purpose and stuff like that. He taught me how to be bad. when I was, Yeah. Because he was like a couple years older than me. He was in high school and I was like maybe starting to come into like elementary and stuff like that and he would just teach me all these things and like when he went to jail he just kept telling me all these crazy stories about dudes killing each other fighting like all the alarms going off whenever there was a fight it was it was wild and like it changed him yeah he's a better man now because he was a fuck up for real and he, he turned it all around he's got kids he's got family he has a job now he's like a manager he's he's doing great but it the crazy thing about it was like before he went into prison, his my his mom, we have different moms, but we have the same dad. His mom was talking to my dad. I was like, you got to get him out. Uh, he, he doesn't belong there. They're going to kill him. This is and that. My dad was like, no, leave him there. Yeah. It's like, no, he's, he's got to learn his lesson. Yeah. And I and guess my sure dad he, was right. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it was wild. <laughs> 
It'll, it'll, I mean, it, it either makes you or breaks you kind of that kind of environment. Either you, yeah. you stay the same and you just stay the same and get worse uh, with your behavior or you come out going, I don't, I don't want to go there again. Well, there's also that thing when like uh, petty criminals go to jail, they become better criminals because the ones that are already in there are teaching them how to not get caught. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It happens. Yeah. Depends who you hang with. I, I really just kind of hung solo when I was there. Yeah, you're smart. You didn't get <laughs> yeah. in a gang. I was like, work yeah. for the warden? Sure, why not? Why? Because there are more perks. You can go outside. <laughs> the Stay outside. Go outside the prison gates. I'll take that. Thanks. I can eat, like, civilian food all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'll take. So okay, you're that. like teacher's pet then. Um, Yeah, kind of, except for just, like, keep your head down, do your job, and, and get out. I think, I, you know, I said the whole first person there last person to leave mentality came back to even and there's like well if i'm gonna work really hard and i want to carry this sort of like um uh you know these habits with me out you know here in the free world then that's what i'll do in the penitentiary which was just work harder work harder never like not show up because i don't feel well which you know there were days where i didn't feel well and uh and that's so i knew that it would change my my personality my mentality my attitude when I got out, you know, and I was hoping it would adjust to where I would be like, okay, what is it going to take for me to like get my life together? Eh, job and money helps, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how does it, how it am does. I going to have a job if I don't have a car? Well, the bus. So how am I going to get a bus pass? Well, my dad, I remember he gave me like a month's bus pass here. That's all you get. You get a month's bus pass, which I was even grateful for when I got out of prison. And, uh, that month's bus pass got me a job and that job pushed me into another job where I was able to pay for my own car and then pay for another car. And then some lady in recovery gave me a job at a law firm and I worked for her for a year and got another car. And then I met a nice guy and we moved into this place and we wound up separating. But I, you know, after a while just kind of came back to, um, I was acclimated back into society, you know, and have done better than I thought I would ever do, you know. That's good, though. Yeah. Yeah. You're one of those stories, those success stories that people hear about. And I like, think ah. God's given me the chance, or whoever out there, right? Because it's, it's. I think most people just want, want, want love, they want good, you know. That's what we. That's what I hope for, anyways. Like, I hope people understand that the more we love each other, then the more, you know, it's better for <laughs> to grow hate breeds hate love breeds love so you know i i feel like if i'm used as sort of a vessel or or a thread let's just say to to spread the message carry the message of of like love and hope then in recovery then you know it'll it'll better our community in comedy it'll better it'll better the community and recovery of the women that i help and people will see that and me so i'm i'm grateful for the opportunity to opportunities have been given to me but i also am not um you know I, i'm hum i i try to stay humble about it because i know <laughs> i know that you know um i know what it's like to suffer you know know what it's like to not have anything and work for it if that makes sense yeah you know i do too like but any second, you know, COVID could happen and people can <laughs> <laughs> right just yeah i mean that's that's life though life is just random you never know what's going to happen so you can prepare so much but it sometimes it's just not not worth it yeah uh, from what i've 
seen in life, one of the things that I realized the most is just being in the moment. Yeah. And having fun with who you're with, talking to who you're with, and then forgetting about everything else that's around you. Yeah. Because the more you focus on everything else, the less you're focusing on what's in front of you. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, they call it the fourth dimension time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've done acid. Be present. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. That's funny. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy, man. I think I, the one thing that attracts me about comedy, like the reason why I started comedy is partly because psychology. Because mm-hmm. like when I was younger, my mom, because of her mental issues and stuff like that, I just I went to school and I took psychology classes mm-hmm. specifically to figure out what was wrong with my mom. There was a class about drugs, alcohol, and sex, and I was like, oh, this this might tell me more about my mom. Let me take that. But within taking that and taking more psychology classes, I got very interested in it. And comedy partly has something to do with psychology for me. Like you're on stage, you're controlling people. All at the same time, you're using your words, you're putting images in their head, and you're making them laugh because they see it too, mm-hmm. or they're understanding what you're what you're saying, and they're listening, and they're they're getting everything. Then you're doing it all at the same time, and it's that's interesting to me because you separate those people, it won't work. Everybody yeah. has to be in a room together for this whole experiment to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a setting for it. Because, like, have you ever done comedy outside? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it, it's a it, comedy outside is okay. It's it, it kind of sucks sometimes because there's so much going on outside that people can't focus on what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. So say like a place like Axelrad, we used to have the show outside, right? And there's hammocks, there's a, a projector, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. There's music, there's other things going on other than comedy. And mm-hmm. the moment they moved it upstairs, it's been great, mm-hmm. perfect. It gets packed all the time. People are there. People are listening. People are attentive. People people are focused on what's in front of them the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. Like the best setting for comedy is a room that's small, that's intimate, that's dark. And where everybody can just sit down and just be one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very intimate thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot and I have a strong desire to continue to do it. So I think I'll keep doing comedy and and find a different um avenues that it brings you know yeah because yeah. you can go on uh, social media you can make skits podcasts yeah there's so many other ways like you said avenues to get to where you want to be yeah yeah because like for the most part it's really hard to make it just doing stand-up oh yeah yeah you gotta be the personality's gotta come out in different areas i feel like yeah i mean i don't know even if it's creative writing, <laughs> you know, like just, I've, I've found, I love to, you know, I, I love to write. So I've been, I'll write, I'll write a lot, even outside of just my jokes, you know? Um, and man, it has definitely shifted my thinking. Like I'm always in tune to like, Oh yeah, that's so fun. You know, like it's just, I feel like my memory for comedy, if that makes sense, because I've been able to develop the skill of how to, like you said, be in front of a crowd and make a joke. Right. Um, and get them to paint the picture for or paint the picture for them to 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 see it and laugh that I do that um, that I do that with my I do that with my my writings changed my writings tuned up so to speak you know it's cool because yeah like, your writing has gotten better it's sharpening and sharpening and yeah. sharpening <laughs> well that that's all comedy is like the more reps you get it's like you're sharpening a sword that's right and you're making it sharper and sharper and sharper yeah. and one day you'll be able to cut through to the other side 
That's so cool. It's it, but it takes a long time. Like I'm gonna be honest, when I first started comedy, I was horrible. <laughs> I was terrible. You you you've seen me now, but like before, whoo! People were telling. There was a guy that told me I should quit. Like straight up, he was like, "Yeah, you don't do this anymore." Like <laughs> it just like. It hurts, and that's another thing that goes into it too. Because like, there's a that aspect that people don't see is like the failure, like you bombing when you first start out. It hurts so bad. Yeah, it hurts, and it's yeah. there's no there's not a it, it's a yin and yang thing. When yeah. you kill, it feels great, but when you bomb, it feels horrible. It's so bad. Yeah, it's so bad, and like I had to realize over the years, like bomb is not that bad. Mm-hmm. it's not as bad as you think mm-hmm. like the more you do it you 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 thicken your skin mm-hmm. and like you really need a thick skin to get into comedy because like and one of the things that like is even harder for for people is like female comics it's mm-hmm. really hard mm-hmm. to be a female comic nowadays yeah like what struggles have you gone through right now trying to get to to building your shows or trying to get out there more uh as a female as a female comic i don't know um or have you had any yet i don't know maybe my type a personality (laughs) isn't really um i don't i don't know i don't know how to answer that question i don't really feel like there's been any um hassle my awareness is just that it's an individual thing it really has nothing to do with being a female or a male for me um although granted it seems like there are a lot more houston male comics right than there are female comics yeah, but i don't uh, I, I don't know maybe just because i i know how to um um whenever i set a goal and whenever i can like whenever i can see that it's obtainable then i go for it so i'm not i'm probably it's hard to ask that question to me because usually um, you know, unless it's unrealistic, it's like uh, you know, spaghetti and ice cream. You're like, oh, that's kind of gross. But spaghetti and manera, oh, that's great, right? Like, I I know what the sort of cake mixture is to get what I want, right? Like, so I know how to take the pieces of, and I have a full time job and career during the day, so I'm not like my self esteem and and the and the tools that I've developed in recovery, all I bring that shit to comedy, so that I can like be a badass in, in comedy, not for anybody else, but just, you know, for my own self-worth, you know? Mm-hmm. So I truly love, I love it enough to know that even if I'm struggling, like in whatever you say, bombing or whatever, like, you know, sometimes I go there, man, I really fucked that joke up or whatever, or I'll go up and I'll be having just sort of a ugh, me day where I'm feeling sorry for myself for whatever outside reason. Then, you know, I um, also, I still have uh, a pretty keen like sense of self to know that and that's why i get to go back and do it again there's always room for growth and it's not personal it's my growth it's my my personal belief in how much i can you know um you know my my self-worth isn't based on what other people are or are doing for my career and comedy my self-worth is based on what am i doing to contribute to make myself you know um and the awareness around it too to know I am still young and fresh. So what what can I do 
to make sure that I'm not stepping on the toes of others, right? And that I'm also participating in a way in a level that I understand is where I'm at, the level that I'm at, right? Like I'm not at the, the, the one out of five. I'm not at the five. I'm still at one. I'm aware of that, <laughs> you know? Like, mm-hmm. So like, okay, then how do I get to level one and a half? How do I get to level two? If I go to two or three open mics, blah, 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 you know, um, what's workable for me? What's the ebb and flow? What's the balance? How many can I do? open mics can I do a week how many you know um and the assertiveness that comes with producing a show knowing like when to cap it knowing you know like I have uh a good also knowing some people at the last minute are gonna fall out it's not a personal thing it's business like I've learned that Mm -hmm. uh the business side of it too which is still developing or I have at least an understanding of how to run a show that works for me and the comedian's you know, um, so I don't know. It's every single day I'm learn. I learn something new, um, and I don't drink. So a lot of the females do. You know, I think I'm the only sober female comic. So kind of sets me apart. Aside from my friend in, I have a friend in Austin. I won't say her name, but you know, um, yeah. So it's it's different being the consistently sober girl. <laughs> you know, like. We're going streaking. I mean, like, I'll do it, but I'm not drunk, so I have to be home at a certain hour, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I am kind of, um, I'm more more grown up than I'm probably aware of. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you've had more life experiences, and I think that's, that's, that, that helps out a lot, because from what you just said, there's a lot of kids there. Yeah. Like, and I like don't mean kids as in like children, like not adults that are not mentally, 21. mentally, <laughs> like even there, there's some adults that even act like kids still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, I, I see that now. Like when I first started, it was like, I was 25 mm-hmm. and I was just like, damn, I was a kid. I didn't know mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to, to realize a lot of things, but I did also have life experience too, aside from that. Yeah. With your mom, you know, with my mom, my dad, right. All your the brother. stuff that happened. I was homeless for yeah, a minute. Yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. like. I just had a lot of stuff going on, so that kind of helped me. So then you kind of understand the threshold of pain that comes with. I know pain. I know being hungry. Lonely, angry, tired. Yeah. What are you telling me? I fucked up my body because uh, the body has a fight or flight response. Yeah. There was a minute. The saber tooth tiger. Yeah. Yeah. When there was a minute when I couldn't eat, so I had to like save up money for my meals and stuff and now my body is not the same anymore <laughs> like, <laughs> i swear to god i think uh, david blaine did the same thing like he starved himself for a couple hours mm-hmm. i think it was like 40 hours or whatever and mm-hmm. he talked about it and it was like yeah your body changes after you do that and yeah i was like yeah, i messed my body up yeah it, it sucks because like when you can't afford something to eat uh the red hot chili peppers had this song is like there's a oh, that's a good one uh, to reference you hustle harder when you can't afford a cigarette it's very true. Right. It's very, it right. forces you. Cause when you right. want something, you want to eat. I was like, I need to make money. I need, right. I need to save money because I'm hungry. I need, right. I need to eat. Right. It's just, it, yeah, just yeah. It, being desperate and starving is a hard thing. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. And the most lonely I've ever felt was having things around me and then still knowing that I had nowhere else to go. Cause I was still who I was. If that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. When like was... the awareness of like, I may have a home, and I have family, and I have these beautiful kids, um, and I don't have as much drugs that I, as I would like, as I would like, but I know that I'm still here, because every time I wake up, there I am looking at myself in the mirror, 
and the awareness of knowing the struggle was within is just very uh isolating it's isolating but it's something that you need i had to i had to like it took me a long time to accept who i was what i was doing why i was doing it and why i accepted that i was treating myself like shit yeah yeah that was which which contributes to other people around you you know like well, in comedy specifically, that is a tough thing because, yeah. like, uh, some people do get their self-worth for how they're doing in the scene, how people treat them and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I'm not like that anymore. Yeah. But I was. And uh, it, it, it it messes you up mentally. Sure. Because, like, you're no longer... You're, so it's almost like you grew up in comedy then. Yeah. Basically. Isn't that crazy? I feel like I created a person through comedy. Because, yeah. like, when I, when I first started, I was a shell. So then was, it sounds like it's doing very well for you. <laughs> That's good. I am better and worse because of comedy. I'll say that right now. I'm better in a lot of things, but I'm worse in others. What's that? Sleep? (laughs) Girl, let me tell you. Concept that doesn't exist in Rachel's mind. Yeah. Yeah. I was asleep for 48 hours. No, I'm kidding. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) But yeah, sleep is deprived for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sleep deprived. Yeah. I don't know. But the thing is, though, I, I love it. I love going out. I love telling jokes. I love making people laugh. Like my my self worth is now on like who am I? What am I doing in my life? How am I trying to get better? And it's no longer to how am I going to get better into comedy? It's just how am I going to get better in life? Yeah, yeah. And that changed, which is sort of lot. on the axiom of comedy or with comedy as well, because you're you're yeah you're using it as sort like a mobile, like a baby mo- mobile, right? Like I always kind of pretend that the center is God and it's holding everything else around, you know, like so that it's balanced. Uh-huh. And a part of that for me now is, is comedy on that mobile. So everything can be balanced, you know, with God in the center there. Um, and it's interesting, like how the weight carries and shifts and moves, but everything stays balanced. And with me putting, you know, my recovery and, and, and God right there in the middle to maintain the balance of all the things that and you're in the crib just watching it go (laughs) and then the work rave lights come on social life everything just going in a i like that yeah Yeah, and you're just watching it spin yeah sometimes i feel like uh my life is like apps and i keep Mm -hmm. trying to delete them but they don't go away oh no yeah like certain things like social life work life and stuff like that i just swipe left swipe left still in the cloud the The usb in my brain yeah I was like, oh, no, I got airdropped. You're going to jail. Like, ah. Right, 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 right. Just a game of Sims that we're playing here, buddy. <laughs> it, is. it feels like a simulation sometimes. And that I'm just saying that because I've done so many drugs and my mind is just like crazy. Sometimes I'm like, I feel like my life is like a movie. Yeah. Sometimes I just wake up going like, all right, what's going to happen today? That's right. It's just like, let's see what happens. Yeah. It's, it, it's cool. crazy. I love waking up. I used to hate it. I love waking up. I love that I wake up. I love that I wake up and I go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. For being a heroin addict and someone who had to rely solely on just something to change the way that I felt so I didn't have to feel, it's unreal that I'm still alive. So uh, I, When I was using, when I was really going really hard at it, that was the same thing. It's like, it took me so long because I didn't want to feel, mm-hmm. but then the drugs made me feel. Right. And I was like, oh, I, was like, oh I, I, I need this to be able to. I need to feel something to walk around my house for 14 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. And then once I once I cut that down, I was just like, where am I going to get that that addiction? Well, what am I going to substitute this addiction with? And it was like comedy. It's like, OK, 
well, I love doing comedy more than I love doing all these drugs. So, yeah, thank God. Yeah. Ooh, it was tough for a while. Yeah. yeah it was tough. Yeah. And I don't really I don't talk about it on stage that often because I I don't know. I don't think people should know. Well, I guess people people should know. But like, I don't want them to go too much into my life because even with this podcast, we're just talking about addiction and stuff like that and the things that happen in our lives. But it's still a show. People are still listening. They don't really know who you really are. Mm-hmm. They don't know everything that that you have gone through to, to be the person you are right now. Yeah. And it's always going to be like that. And I think it's fine because we're people. We just want to l- learn about each other, learn about our lives. But at the end of the day, we still have to have our privacy. Yeah. And as an entertainer, I feel like that's really important, having your privacy. Yeah. Because like when I'm on stage, when I'm telling jokes, it's just, it's just jokes. It's bullshit. It's yeah. stuff that I thought of that I thought was funny. And I'm trying to convince you that it's funny, too. Mm-hmm. That's all Preserve I'm doing. Just an autonomy. Yeah. Yeah, but with the podcast, I want it to be a little more real, intimate, intimate, get to know the person more, because that is that other side of me. Yeah. I like to talk to people. I like to get to know them. But sometimes, like you said before, there's those certain people that you can't really (laughs) get through. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough, man. I mean, like, have you tried? Has there been a person that has made it tough to talk to them, but in the end, you're you're able to be their friend? In general? In life? (laughs) In life. Yeah, just My kids, I look at them like, what the hell? What do you want to talk about today, guys? Oh, you want breakfast? Um, anyway, I'm like, it's fucking four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Go make a steak. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, people in general, has it been hard to... Well, yeah, I mean, all over the world. I mean, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, as a world traveler, it was hard to speak um korean when i lived in seoul <laughs> i mean the language barrier there oh, you speak that. korean no i don't i would i think i learned like give me food or like where's the bus or turn left here or like i learned simple concepts like to be able to navigate through the city of seoul um or on the station bus station to get to like um where i wanted to go which was uh, the military base. <laughs> Eat Taiwan. Yeah, there. Map. Red thing, cool. What? Okay, four stops, great. Um, yeah, I mean, the have I had a difficult time interacting with... Yeah, and I've learned a lot of great skills. One of those skills is, like, I've learned... Um, what's it called? I've learned boundaries to set with people. I've learned what's ah, safe with me. That's um, a big word, boundaries. Yeah, I, I use just it. learned about boundaries oh, yeah. recently. <laughs> I, I um, uh, yeah, I, I use it like an extra appendage. The word, um, I uh, like, yeah, I, I have, I don't have a difficult time telling. You know how some people like, well, let's just say, since you've learned the word boundaries. Two of my favorite words, um, one of the, and I'll say it first is no, and then the other one is yes, right? Yeah. And it's simple as that. Yep. Can I, and they'll go into the long explanation of what's happening with their life and their mom, and then, oh my God, at their job, and then their boyfriend, and you go, no. And then you'll have another friend go, hey, you want to go grab some coffee? Yes. You know, it's like very uh-huh. simple for me. And then if I'm continuing to say no more than I am yes, Maybe this person shouldn't be in my life. Wow. Simple, right? That's insightful, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that the craziest thing? Because now I'm thinking right now, I was like, man, there have been a lot of people I've said no to a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should cut them off. Right? (laughs) 
can I borrow some? No. No. Do you have time to know? Yeah, there's the givers and the takers sometimes in life, dude. You I mean, yeah, that. I mean, I, I have people Do you understand right now. that? Well, in the comedy community, there are the, a lot of us are takers. Call it what you will. We'll call it emotionally well, well, unintelligent. We'll call it unstable individual who has, you know, um, some sort of, you know, I don't know, borderline personality or whatever disease, X, Y, Z. I mean, if I don't, none of that is my business. But what is my business is how does it affect me and my children and my life? And... When you're in a business, which is comedy, you have to be safeguard and, and aware of who you're interacting with in order to know, you know, um, who to who to trust, you know. Um, who to befriend or I think there's yeah, but not that, really that anyone comes in with comedy like- that I just I love most everyone that I've met, you know, I've had some some weird interactions but that's with any community i'm also still so young that i I'm, i have more to learn people have more to learn about me um but i don't plan on becoming best friends with everybody overnight and i think over time as as i evolve in comedy the my the my thinking and perception especially becoming more of an adult will change and trans and trend and and people will change and some people will fall off and you know We'll see how, yeah. We'll see who who stay. Who will see who sticks around and who sees. We'll see who I can maintain friendships with. You know, I hope nobody gets hurt or harmed or anything. Because a lot of people, you know, you hear about them mm-hmm. went to rehab, went to jail, went to you know whatever, and you're like, all right, kind of comes along with struggling people who are her face face led in their addiction. So, I mean, that's that's very wise of you. Kind of red flag if it's like, well, I live with my parents. Okay. And I'm 35. Interesting. And I don't have a car. Uh huh. Tell me more. Well, I lost my job. Okay. You know, like, and then you're just like, what? Why am uh, I getting entertained? It just keeps going yeah, and going, yeah. and it doesn't stop. Yeah. I see. Well, there's a lot of people like. Well, I that. can't do this because I got to pay for that. And you're like, but you're doing drugs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, yeah. So I, I've seen it all. I've, I've been around the block more often than I'd like um, to admit to, if that makes sense. So I, you know. I, I've had the ability to see, um, you know, call the bullshit, so to speak. And I think that's a great stopping point. Is it? Yeah, we're yeah, good. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks uh, for having me, Joe. If you want to shout out, do you have any shows or Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Uh, I do have an Instagram, Princess Pilot Priest. Yeah. And then I have my show, uh, comedy show. Uh, look but don't touch comedy this saturday at bill arning exhibition so 8 p.m the show starts and it's a monthly thing so thanks for having me and hey uh, thanks for being on i really appreciate this this is very insightful (laughs) you know yeah yeah Yeah. and that's a wrap cool thanks joe you guys remember me you guys know where to find me at the joe cassidy facebook joe esquivel and uh oh i have a show this friday it's at the sablegate winery if you want to go check that out, it's $10 for the show. Eventbrite, just look it up on my Instagram. And uh, it's been a minute.